The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. This episode is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. Get headphones, earbuds, and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Just enter the discount code CAFCOMICS, that's all one word at the checkout. You'll get 33% off your entire order, free worldwide shipping, and a limited lifetime warranty on everything you buy. That's TweakedAudio.com. And now... Time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts, John and Steven. Thank you, it's Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Brown. And there's a lot of little things floating around. Nothing uh, huge. Nothing too huge. I will say the one bit of news that came out that... Uh, I heard at the radio at like two in the morning was um, Joker won the uh, like an indie film festival award. Yeah. There's been a lot of buzz about this. It's like, there's is this a, an Oscar movie? There's a huge amount of talk about Joker and people are already angry at it because they're, yeah. like, they're like, this movie's irresponsible. And uh, actually, I heard a good um, quote. I think it was, it's irresponsible. Yes. Because they're like, oh, another white male. Gets angry oh, and starts hurting of people. Oh, because all the guns. They're like, it's, yeah. it's tone deaf. There's something to that argument, I think, um, if they're glorifying it. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, whether or not they are, somebody put something on in the internet, and I want to credit Claire with this. Okay. Uh, Claire wrote something, and this could be totally off base. Maybe she copied it from somewhere. Um, but it was something like, uh, Joker's gonna do really well in theaters with all the children of the dads who misunderstood Fight Club. Oh yeah, I saw that floating around. Yeah, yes. so maybe that was like floating around, and yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you hear this all the time. It's like, oh, I love Fight Club. It's so violent. It's like, do you you know what that movie is about, right? <laughs> well, you it's know? just like Venom. Like what we're we talking yeah. about Venom. Like you're still kind of mad about the target audience of Venom, and then it did well with that target mm-hmm. audience who were not us. Um, I did see, uh, we'll get into it in a bit here. We'll get into it, but... But uh, they showed the trailer. We saw the trailer for Joker. For Joker. And yeah, Lisa I saw the trailer. Um, Lisa didn't know they were making the Joker movie. See, that's crazy, because Lisa's a big Batman fan. Yes, and she's furious. She's At like, it what or the fu- fuck was this? <laughs> really? She saw the trailer, and she's like, I didn't see Batman. Is Batman not in this? Oh. I'm like, I don't think Batman's in this. She's like, what the fuck? <laughs> she's three weeks behind the outrage. Yeah. yeah. Like, we've all she's gotten very past busy. there's no Batman in it, yeah. and that it doesn't tie into anything else. Now people are mad about other things about it. Yeah, well, she also doesn't like, she's really against the idea of the Joker having an origin. She really kind of likes the, he's kind of like the shark in Jaws. He just kind of shows up, you know? Yeah, the Heath Ledger. Yeah. Of, yes. Um, I like that this is like one potential one. Uh, I find that interesting. The way I'm kind of putting it in my head is that this is Joker telling someone his origin, which of course it could all be a lie. Yeah, this like so, the Killing Joke did this, right? Didn't the Killing yeah, Joke yeah. kind of do this a yeah, little bit? Yeah, I think that's the first one that said that. Alan Moore has a line that says, sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes I remember it the other. If I'm going to have a past, it should be multiple choice. 
Yeah. So, and I'm like, this is just one choice because I'm already seeing articles of like, how will Robert Pattinson face off about Joaquin with Joaquin Phoenix? I'm like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I think that's really ignorant. Not ignorant. That's the wrong word. It's just uh, a do your research person writing the article trying to capitalize on superhero culture. <laughs> You know, because it's like, uh, that's movie set in the 70s, right? Uh, 1981, they said. Oh, okay. But yeah. still, it's like, we, <laughs> Robert Pattinson is going to chase around a geriatric joker and beat him up. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. Yeah, but it's it's interesting because I'll definitely see it and we'll talk for an hour about it once it comes out. Sure. Um, And I'm definitely, I get more interested the more I see it. The more yeah. I see a trailer, the more I read about it. I, I'm like, yeah, I... I hated everything about it until the trailer came out. I didn't I I I didn't think about like Joaquin Phoenix um because he went like remember when he got like crazy or was doing that bit with like the big beard and he went on Letterman and was Yeah, like a I just saw an article about that again. That was like a whole trolling thing. Yeah. That like nobody understood and and everybody was just like, "Oh, Joaquin Phoenix went crazy." Right. And it's like, "No, he's trolling us." Okay, sure, yeah. buddy. Uh and and then I didn't understand. Joaquin like, Phoenix gives me the creeps anyway. Yeah, he's a very creepy guy. Yes, uh, and he's always been creepy. You know, and I always every now and then it hits me. I'm like, oh yeah, he was River Phoenix's brother. What was that house? Oh yeah, because those two don't look anything alike. Right, they don't seem anything alike. Yeah, and then obviously the tragedy and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's uh. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll see. Joker, it looks good. I, it's like objectively, I like. I'm interested in this movie. If DC does want to just make off the wall, out of continuity, experimental movies, and they're gonna rack up a bunch of awards for it, all the power to them. Go for it, buddy. Yeah, I'm. I'm totally fine with that. I. This is the first superhero movie in a long time that I want to see as a movie. I'm not seeing it because it connects to something or it is adapting something or it means something down the road. It's This is the first time I'm like, I'm going to sit in the theater for two hours, watch this movie, and then leave the movie. I'm yeah. not going to be – I'm not going out going like, What's oh, going to happen yeah. next? Oh, they teased Harley. Did you right. see that Easter egg? I don't think there's going to be anything like that. Yeah. It's got Mark Maron and Robert De Niro in it. I mean, it – and he said a few times it's – it's his homage to the movies they made in the 70s when New York was a cesspool and I was nine years old and my parents begged me to never go into the city. Right. Don't, uh, they were, don't go on that fucking island, John. <laughs> don't get on that subway train. Um, and especially not Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn was even worse. But it's his homage to – there's a lot of like the Scorsese from that era and that there's a lot of Taxi Driver and a lot of uh, The King of Comedy. Which is really interesting. King Comedy is a weird movie. Um, yeah, have you ever? We might have talked about this either last week on the show we or maybe off the air. Yeah. Is that Robert De Niro is essentially playing the character that Jerry Lewis played in the King right. of Comedy, and the Joker's playing the the character that Robert De Niro played right in the King of Comedy. But it's movies like that. And I was listening to Unspooled, which is a great podcast that um, Paul Shear does it's kind of his uh answer to how did this get made because it's all good movies and they were talking about joker a little bit because they had just talked about taxi driver yeah and they said people like people were real you know it won the award but people were really mad at it he said the same thing happened with taxi driver the same people walked out of that screening wow which means it's a movie that's just gonna hit you really really hard right. and i'm not and again i'm 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 thinking about this movie the way I was thinking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before I saw it. I'm not thinking about this movie the way I'm thinking about 
Doctor Strange. Right. I'm not thinking, hey, how does this how does puzzle, fit into puzzle the piece? piece? Yeah, I just want I just want to see it as a movie, and I, that's getting me excited. But uh, speaking of movies, you saw it this weekend. Yeah. Um, I've I have read it and I've seen part one and I want to see part two. Okay. I don't know that I have the courage to go and see it on a big screen in a dark. How do you room. feel about spoilers? I'm fine because I read the book. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, then, we'll then here's a spoiler warning spoiler for the podcast. Warning. Yeah. Uh, and I saw the John Ritter Tim Curry miniseries back in. Was that a miniseries? It was. It was a two night miniseries. Oh, so on ABC. it's like two hours. No, it was, well, it was like four hours. It was like two nights. Oh, see, I don't know if I ever saw that whole thing then, because I it was terrifying as a child. It was creepy, but yeah. it was definitely like a TV movie from 1990, right? So it's like the budgets. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it. Yeah, it's not that scary. Tim Curry's good in it. Yeah, but it's not. It's not nearly as scary as as the film was. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I don't care for like horror movies too much. Uh. So I I didn't really care to see the first one, but then everyone wanted to go see it, and I was like, sure. And then the same thing with the second one. We actually watched the first one again last Saturday in Carla's garage. Like, uh, oh yeah, you left here. You left the podcast to go do to that. Watch that directly. Yeah. And uh, I got really drunk, so I don't really remember a lot of it, which was frustrating because I wanted to try to remember like the story. Yeah, because the the thing of it is, um. There's something inherently creepy about clowns, and I think we all kind of get that. Yeah, people don't like them. Yeah, and I think the older the clown is, the creepier it is. You know, a, a clown in the year 1901 is a lot creepier oh, okay. than a clown in the year 2001. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like the further back in time you go, the creepier clowns are. So all well, the, like, the history it, stuff about clowns and I, the movie. Yeah, I think the thing with clowns is, first of all, their, their identities are covered. I remember when I was a kid, I I dressed as Batman for a Halloween. It was Just like, the one time? Um, no, several times. I, yeah, I dressed yeah. as Batman with Halloween parties. I went with the, with you. Yes, but I was the Michael Keaton Batman in like 1990. Okay, so um, I still have the rubber mask from the Tim Burton one that comes down to the bat symbol. It's yeah. still in my closet. But I was totally dressed, and my dad uh, had to ask me something, and I came over, and he couldn't look me in the eye. And later, I was like. Hey, why wouldn't you look me in the eye when I was going to that Halloween party? He goes, there's something about a mask. Yeah. And there is, it's the fact that you can't see someone's face. Right. That like really creeps, so, because you don't know what they're thinking. That, and I think there's also the idea that clowns are supposed to be funny and they aren't. Yeah, they're they're just, they're weird. They're <laughs> doing this, but they're they're spending all of this energy to doing something that is not doing it. Yeah. And, you know, that's why you have... Honestly, we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about the Joker. Right. So... It's the um, same idea. It's the same idea. Yeah. That's why the Joker is the most terrifying of Batman's villains. Yeah. It's like, uh, there's a lot there. Uh, but then this, they get in, like, the origin of, like, what it is and where it comes yeah. from. And it's, like, space lights or something. And he's, like, a meteor that landed. And he's, like, these, like, three glowing lights that, like, go around and around. It's very vague in the book. Yeah. And uh, it's just, like, the more you kind of, like... So it's interesting to set up the premise of, like, this creepy clown. He's got mystical powers. There's red balloons floating around. That's, like, terrifying and inherently interesting. But then when you're just, like, it's space aliens, it's just kind of, like, this is stupid. <laughs> and then the other thing horror movies do that I'm not, like, a huge fan of is that in their pursuit of trying to terrify you, they do two things that I think are just lame. And the first thing is, like... Wah! 
You I know? hate jump scares because they're. Pointless. I didn't like it when you did that just now. Yeah, it's and I apologize to anyone who that got I, jump that has headphones on at work. Yeah, and Stephen just yelled in your ear because it's 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 cheap, it's dumb, yes. and it doesn't. That's not scary. That's startling. That's a different thing. And they didn't used to do that. That's been more. Of a modern I think it's thing. a modern. thing. I think you know what and that really started was like with the invention of surround sound and the big subwoofer. Oh yeah. You notice every trailer does that? Every single trailer shows a cut with like... Yeah, that's Christopher be- Nolan's fault. Yeah, it's... Uh, no, I, I think it goes. I think it goes back to like Phantom Menace is when surround sound started showing up in theaters. Yeah. And then a few years later, I have a subwoofer in my living room. Yeah. And uh, I think once they had that speaker, sound guys were like, like oh, we have all these frequencies we didn't have before. Let's yeah. use those and just jump out at people yeah i think when you do that and you have like a quick cut yeah it's just like it's cheap and yes. then the second and it makes, thing it does make me angry yeah i'm like it's very frustrating i like to be creeped out in horror movies oh yeah i don't like to be startled right because again it's not you're not doing anything like on a psychological level it's more it's a reactionary level and there's nothing to that yeah and it it gives me a shot of adrenaline that makes me want to get up Right. And it's like, no, I'm in a movie. I don't want to get up. Yeah. And if, if you're giving me a feeling that I want to jump up, my next impulse is to walk out. Yeah. Which and, obviously is counterintuitive to movie viewers. Yes. And, obvi- and obviously that's just me because they keep doing it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm completely on board with you. I despise jump scares. Yeah. And then the second thing they do that is frustrating. Ooh. Yeah. I'm sorry to pause. I think the first jump scare might have been in Jaws. When is in, in Jaws? When uh, Richard Dreyfuss goes underwater and he, he's checking out that boat yeah. that's on the bottom and um, he's looking through a hole and then a head just floats out. Oh, yeah. Um, I I don't know. It, it's like – because it wasn't like a quick cut in that, right? No, but it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It, there's no – it's not built up. And on the Jaws DVD, Spielberg said that was a last-minute shoot because mm-hmm. they were like, oh, this scene's not that scary. And they said they went in Spielberg's pool. Like oh. that day and shot it super, super fast and put it in. And he said, when we put it in, people jumped. Yeah. Um, you could also go back. This could be all about jump scares. Yeah. But also, uh, I just like to talk about it, is The Tingler. The Tingler. The Tingler. Have you ever seen The Tingler? Yeah, you and me watched The Tingler. Did we watch The Tingler we together? We did, because uh, we were at the store and uh, you had bought it on DVD or something. You're like, you've got to see this fucking movie. <laughs> the Tingler. Yeah, I yeah, saw it on AMC. It's so year, weird. Years ago. Yeah, well, there's the scene in that where, um, you know, the, uh, in the theater, they had wired the seats. They put joy buzzers oh, in the yeah. seats. Oh, yeah. It was one of those, like, fucking uh, Disney did this with, like, uh, a show for kids because they're insane. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, where the seats will poke you. Oh, yeah. They'll squirt you with water. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, why would you fucking kids which are watching I, this? Which I think they might be shutting down to build something else. Which yeah, Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. But it was like that in the 50s. But it was, like, uh, was it William Castle? It was, like, one of those Roger Corman type guys. But there's a scene, it's so obvious that it has nothing to do with it. And Gilbert Godfrey does this on his podcast all the time, but I, but I love doing it, where he's looking for the tingler, and he goes into a dark room, and he closes it, and the screen just goes black, and then 
Vincent Price screams out, run for your lives. The tingler is loose in the theater. And then they would just start buzzing people. Yeah. So when you watch the movie now and you don't have a buzzer in your seat, there's just about 30 seconds of nothing. Right. And then it just gets quiet. He goes, we now return to our film. Yeah. <laughs> that That's definitely a jump scare. But I think the modern jump scare we're both talking about is a quick cut with a subwoofer hit. Yeah, it's like gratuitous. Yes. Uh, They're all gratuitous. Every single one of those. Yeah, but it's like, it's like the head and Jaws, I don't have like a problem with. It's like, that's cool. Jaws is the scariest movie of all time. So it's like, it works. It's very Um, scary. The second thing they do that a lot of modern movies are leaning into that I have a problem with is like this, like, they just get gross. Oh, yeah. And there's a scene in the movie where it's like the girl is like all grown up and goes to like her the house she grew up in or the apartment she grew up in and there's like an old lady living there now and it's like the old lady's it you know she's like a shapeshifter yeah and she's all like gross the first trailer is just that scene yes and she's like skirting around in the kitchen and she's naked and you know so then she like turns into a giant like troll monster with like saggy tits and she like runs at the lady and it's just like all right come on but then (laughs) and that's like the the shining did that Right, yeah, it's like yes. this kind of like uh, cr- it gets gross and then cr- uh, creepy. Yeah, and the second thing they do, and grossness has always been a part of horror movies. Like yeah, in, in the '30s, people thought Frankenstein was really gross. Right, and then shows how much how far we've come. Right. Well, I go back to the '80s, um, where I mean, there's always the grossest movie of that era, and now they look quaint. But you go back to something like Reanimator. Oh yeah, which is just it's just. Or Day of the Dead was the first movie I saw like that where um, – I mean there's a scene in Day of the Dead where uh, they're performing an autopsy on a zombie and it gets up and all of his intestines fall out. Yeah. And the thing that gave me the creeps about uh, those two movies in the 80s was that they're not jump scares. They're not they're not lit like to be like, oh, they're just done so matter-of-factly that you can just look at the guts. Yeah. And that's also the time when special effects guys like K&B and Tom Savini became superstars. Yeah. So people – they were outdoing each other in grossness. Yeah. And the, I, feel, this... I feel like we backed off a little bit when CG took over because well, CG yeah, they... can't be gross. Yeah, it can try. It's never going to look as good as the practical effects, and that's kind of always true. Yeah, it, it'll do um, a picture of something gross, but CG can't do like wet and – and clammy very well. Yeah. Uh, but they have this scene where the the kid who's like a hypochondriac or whatever you call it. Yeah. He goes into like a basement and there's like all this medical Do crap they have everywhere. Do they have kid stuff still in this movie? Yeah. They cut like between the two. It's mostly the adults, but they have like flashbacks. Oh, that's interesting. And then all the kids have – all the adults have moments where they are their children in like extra scenes. Oh, that's different than I was expecting because the book jumps back and forth and it's like kid chapter, adult chapter. Yeah. And then um the miniseries in the nineties just followed the structure of the book. But then in when the first film came out it was just kids. Oh I th- yeah. I thought the second one would be just adults. I, no I didn't realize a the- lot of jump back. But they have the scene and the kid uh his like mom is like strapped to a table. Like his, he's got the fat mom where she's like strapped on a table and then like the leprosy guy like comes out of the shadows and he's got like this long, gross tongue. And there's a scene he gets like, he's trying to like eat the mom, I guess, or something while the kid's trying to untire. And, um, there's a scene, he's got this like long, gross tongue. It's disgusting. And there's a part where he like puts the tongue in the mom's mouth. And I went like, (laughs) in the theater, like very loud. Like I almost threw up. It was disgusting. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, but to that I will say about the movie, what they they did a really really awesome job. Yeah. was matching the kids to the adults. It was oh, like casting uncanny. Is, uh, yeah, I mean I haven't seen it chapter two yet, but they just when they announced the cast, it was like it's at Comic Con or something. Yeah, it was it was perfect, and it's big names. Yeah, they got like um, James McAvoy's in it, Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. Um, those are like the two big ones. Jessica Chastain. Yeah, that's a girl I don't ever know. Uh, she's her. done a lot of dramas. She was just in Dark Phoenix, which we didn't see. Mm. But uh, she's big. She hosted Saturday Night Live like a year ago. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I, if you like horror movies, I'm sure you'll like this. It's got, it doesn't have like a great rating. It's got like a 60% on like Rotten Tomatoes or something. I think. Yeah, when the first one went crazy, maybe. Are there, the expectations well, how would you, were really high. Okay, now how would you, assuming everyone in the world has seen the first one, um, including me, how would you compare the second one to the first one now? Again, you got drunk. Oh, you missed a bunch. Yeah, well, I saw the. Do they work as one movie together? Yeah, definitely. It? I, it, so far as I know, they work together as one movie. The first one I'd say is better because there's the mystery of what this is. Right. It's like once they kind of get to the end, they climb like all the way down underground. They're in this like meteor crash site. They're fighting a giant clown spider thing. It's just kind of like, all right, this is a little lame. Yeah, the spider thing. Yeah. So. Um, it's just, yeah, it's... Well, they did cut out the uh, the child group orgy from the... Yeah, and they didn't do that when they were adults, which I was glad for, because yeah. I think it's like, oh, that was actually kind of nice. Stephen Sp- uh, uh, King has a, a cameo in the oh, movie. Oh, that's nice. Which, as soon as you see him, you're like, oh, there he is. Uh, he's very recognizable. Yeah, so he's he's got a cameo, but he's not like a well man. You know, you're he, not gonna write like a child gangbang scene. And oh, then... oh, you, oh, you mean? Yeah, I thought you meant physically because he had that really terrible. Uh, he got hit by a car while jogging in the oh, late '90s, and I he like almost died. Oh, I yeah. No so idea. he's like he's he's a frail individual now. Yeah, like 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 Frank Miller frail. Well, I think he writes gross stuff, and uh, he writes too much stuff to be a well person. Do you know what I mean? He's too prolific. Yeah, see, I feel like I feel like he knows that's his brand. Just write like crazy. Well, write like crazy and, and be weird. keep pushing it. I mean, his he fr- use a lot of foul language his brick- in his books. Uh, yeah, I think at the time it was more shocking. Okay, because they make a little joke I mean, his, about his, foul language in his, his peak. His peak is like the seventies to the eighties. Yeah, um, and then cocaine took over everything, and then he made Maximum Overdrive, which is about mm. a truck that looks like the Green Goblin, hmm. which he says he doesn't remember making. <laughs> yeah, so the cocaine must have been very cocaine. Good. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, then maybe that explains his pro. If you were rich in the eighties, yeah. you did too much cocaine. Uh, but his, I mean, his breakthrough book was Carrie, which, um. The book, more than the movie, is, like, all about menstruation. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of that with It, too. Is like, there's a lot of scenes with, like, that girl becoming a woman. Yeah. There's blood. And, you know, they keep going back to this, like, b- flood of blood, and she almost drowns in a stall full of blood in this movie. It's, yeah. like, there's a lot of, like, weird stuff going on there. Well, with the, yeah, it's definitely going to make you uncomfortable. And, to me, and it's also because it's originally a novel. It just gets in and he doesn't let go on it yeah like you can't just you can't just look away and wait for the next shot the but in the god in the book so i read the book after the first movie came out because i was like you know i've read a few stephen king's right um i love misery i think that book is better than the movie and the movie's great um and i've read his book on writing which is like his autobiography and uh like his tips and techniques 
Um, I've read like The Bodies, Stand By Me. I've read a few. Like I'm not well-versed. I went to grade school with a kid who was – he was the horror kid. Yeah. This kid, Mike O'Shea, he was – he his parents would let him watch rated R movies and he was like the kid who had the Fangoria subscription. Yeah. And he read everything and he would just tell me – like when we were in third grade, he would tell me the plots of like Cujo and Christine. Yeah. So he did – so I've only read a few but it was one of those that like – I knew it was huge. I hadn't gotten to it. And when the movie came out, I was like, nah, I'm going to read the book. And then by the time I finished the book, because it's like 1,200 pages, uh, the movie's out of the theaters. Yeah. So I ended up seeing it on iTunes. But I, I heard all these warnings of like, oh, they cut the kid orgy scene out. And I'm like, kid orgy scene? And I'm like, all right, it's probably an allusion to it or something. It goes on for pages. Yeah. it's Pages. Right. And then they're like, and then it's Bill's turn. And then it's like, and I listened to it as an audio book. That's even weirder. And I was just like, please, please stop. Yeah. So it's, yeah. he, And I think it's part of like him like making you uncomfortable. And honestly, back in the 80s and 90s, people weren't as protective of culture. They yeah. were like, yeah, child rape. Yeah, throw it in. That'll scare people. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, 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 if you like the, the last one, I definitely see it. Cause it's like, this is the complete story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's mostly good. I would say. Does anything top the first one in terms of scares? Cause I mean, Pennywise's performance in the first one. The, the first one, I think there's a lot more of the clown and you, and you yeah. hadn't seen it. Yeah. Now it's like it's kind of like a, a sequel to a comedy movie. It's like Anchorman. I love yeah. Anchorman two. And I'm just like Anchorman two. I defend because there's a lot of jokes I really like. Yeah, but it would, the stories the story goes nowhere. But I didn't care. We talked about we saw Anchorman two together. Yeah. We talked about it. Um, Anchorman two, just Steve Carell showing up at his own funeral and crying. I'm like, yeah, all right. No, no, I'm not saying there's not that. funny jokes. Just like there's not not scary things in the second movie but it's like you've already kind of seen the character right. ron burgundy was a great character because it's like i'd never seen that before and the same thing with the pennywise character um it was very different than tim curry's pennywise and it was super creepy yeah and it's like it was just more of the same okay um and but less of it you know what i mean it's like because he, he spends a lot more time like shape-shifting into different um like horror right because every monster is pennywise and He's not actually a clown. A clown is right. just one form he takes because clowns are creepy and he was attacking kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, uh, I'd still say the first one's better, uh, but then it's like a lot of it is just because it's like, you know, the origin of it is is stupid. There's like Native Americans and like this one guy, the black kid like grows up and like steals like uh, like a lampshade from them and then they have to like put crap in it and it's like... And then he, like, lied about something. I wasn't, like, really sure what had gone on, probably because I was, like, so smashed during the first one that I don't remember all these, like, details. I bought the first one, but I only watched it once. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Well, that's another thing is, like, I only watched the first one a second time because all these people were like, let's go watch this movie before we watch the sequel. I'll probably never watch either of these movies again. Well, from your your own uh, story, the only reason you watched any of them any amount of times is because everybody else was. Right, I'm getting dragged to these things, (laughs) you know. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, if it's your thing, good for you, I guess. It's yeah, just, I'll, it's, I'll get to it. I doubt I'll go. Yeah. But I'll probably buy it on iTunes, uh, especially because I have the first one. Yeah. It's the best thing about it is definitely the uh, the adults as 
the kids as adults. They say Bill Hader's amazing in it. Bill Hader's really good in it. The one kid who's the hypochondriac, is that the right word? Where he's like, he's yeah, a germaphobe that is person? A, yes. It looks like they grabbed the kid and put him in like a time machine. It it looks like the same person. It's uncanny. Yeah, the one problem I have with it is there's so many kids. In it's it, hard, yeah. It's hard to remember who was who. Like like I said, I've read the book and right. seen the movie, and, then, and I can't remember. I'm like, okay, the... The kid from Stranger Things grows up to be Bill Hader. Yeah. And and Josh, well, the way they make James it. James McAvoy is like Bill, the he's the main kid. kid. Yeah. Well, the way that. And obviously the the girl is the girl. Yeah. Well, that was what I was worried about. I'm like, I barely remember these kids. There's no way I'm going to be able to know which adult is which. But they cut back and forth early on. And oh, then ba- uh, several times throughout the movie between them as adults and them as kids. So you, I, I didn't feel lost as to which kid was which. Right. Yeah, that's uh it was kind of like the Deadwood movie, which is a totally different genre. Um when, you know, cuz HBO put that movie out like 14 years later after the series had ended and I didn't watch it for 14 years and my wife uh went back to Amazon Prime watched binge the whole series on yeah. her own. And she, so she was like, "Oh, she when it started, it picks up a bunch of plot lines from the show. And by the way, Deadwood's one of the best shows ever made. So if you haven't seen it, just go to Amazon Prime and watch it. But uh, they did a, such a great job of catching me up. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I had seen it 15 years ago. Right. So um, for it to do that after two years is pretty smart. Yeah, they yeah they, they knew what they were doing, I think. Well, speaking of creepy... Uh, I have been. I haven't finished it yet, but I have been watching Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance on Netflix. Uh, creepy is absolutely the word I would use to describe Dark Crystal. Yes, um, Dark. It's really well done. It's interesting. Um, my experience with Dark Crystal was I was ten when that movie came out, and uh, my dad took me to see it in the theater. It was. I don't know if you if you remember. Were you born in eighty two? No, I was oh, born no, in '86. No, okay. In '82, they were really pushing it. They were like, "This is." They were like, "Jim Henson is serious. This is a major motion picture." But what if they were like, "This is like Star Wars"? You know, they like were that kind of pushing of... it like that because also in '82, Lucas was going to do one more Star Wars, and that was it. And it came out. It, I remember it came out in the spring. So '82 was the year of ET. So it was okay. not in the way of ET. But I remember seeing it, and it's a, it's such an odd movie. It's so weird, and then when you find out more about it, you find out how weird it was. Because they said in the original script, Jim Henson didn't give any of the Skeksis any lines. Like they ju- they would just go like ah rah, rah, rah. yeah, and then the test audience were like, we don't know what's going on, and Jim Henson was like, really? Because he waved his arms, <laughs> and they had to go. Oh, Jim Henson! They had to go back. By the way, my George Lucas and Jim Henson are the, the same, same guy. guy yeah. yeah. I created Star Wars. I'm Kermit the Frog. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get together and create a Jedi and give it to Frank Oz. <laughs> uh, so, but they were like, you have to write dialogue. And if you go back to the Dark Crystal, which may be on Netflix now, but if you go back to the Dark Crystal and you watch the Skeksy scenes, most of those characters are saying nothing. Oh, wow. There is a line. I'm not kidding. There is a line where Skeksy goes, yeah, it's me. <laughs> And then they just cut away because yeah. they looked at the movie and they were like, well, he is growling. He needs what to would say he say something. So at this point, 
Um, wow. That whole point where they go, trial by stone. They all say trial by stone for about a minute and yeah. a half until the stone comes up. And when Jim Henson directed it, it was like, they all yell and a stone comes up and then they, they hit the stone. Yeah. And they were like, no, people don't understand that. He's like, what if they all yelled trial by stone? They're like, okay, we'll get <laughs> so, it then. So that is weird and obviously the visual design is like nothing before or since it was brian froud who uh did a lot of work with jim henson he created a lot of the muppets on the muppet show like the more sophisticated muppets and then went on to do labyrinth and labyrinth is very much yeah in the um, i think when i was a kid i thought uh dark crystal and labyrinth were the same movie yeah because they're both jim henson being serious and brian froud was the puppet designer um labyrinth i like more and the reason I like Labyrinth more is David Bowie. David Bowie's one of the reasons, but the big reason is that Terry Jones from Monty Python wrote the script. So Labyrinth is really funny mm-hmm. instead of, yeah, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have these puppets like doing Python bits. Right. You know, the, like uh, it hit me when Jennifer Connelly first goes into the, the maze and she meets that worm. And he's like, oh, I'm nothing, just a worm. Come inside, have some tea. I'm like, Oh, this is Python. Yeah. This is absolutely Python. And um this a lot of the scenes, like the scene where he always lies, he always tells the truth, which is an old, old riddle. Yeah. But it's written so Python-esque that I like that movie. And then every 10 minutes, David Bowie just shows up. It's like, hello, I'm David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just like, movie's gonna stop now. Right. Because <laughs> David Bowie's here. It's almost like they're having a Muppet party. And David Bowie crashes But they invited it. David, yeah. And he's just like, hello, everyone. And everybody just stopped. There's an episode of Extras. Did you ever see Ricky Gervais' no. show Extras? It's not great. Honestly, Ricky Gervais created The Office, and that's all he needed to do. And that's kind of all he's done. Yeah. Um, nothing else has been great. But Extras had one episode that was really funny. In the second season, Ricky Gervais becomes famous. The first season, he's like a struggling actor. Okay. Um, but the second season he becomes famous and uh, he meets David Bowie in a club and David Bowie starts writing a song for him and it's the most insulting little song. He's like, poor little fat man, chubby little loser. I think I've heard this before. It's probably the best moment in that whole series. Yeah. But Labyrinth is kind of like that scene. Yeah. Where like everybody's like, movie. everybody's like. Like Dan Boy comes in, and he's like, "I'm gonna sing about the babe," and all the Muppets are like, "Okay, all right, this is happening now." The babe with the power. So I do really like Labyrinth. It Labyrinth loses all of its momentum in the third act, and then there's like this huge fight with the trolls in a in a troll town that I don't even remember. Like there, there's a point where they. Like climbing on roofs or something. Yeah, after they get to the bog of the eternal stench, that's kind of it. Except, um, except when Jennifer Connelly. And by the way, it's also awesome that that's Jennifer Connelly when she's like fourteen years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jennifer Connelly fighting David Bowie in an M.C. Escher drawing. Yeah. is kind of great. Where he's like, he spins over the the sides of. He's like, I move the stars for no one. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's the it's the same type of movie like uh like a Batman Returns in weirdness. Yeah, and, uh, that it's like they'll never ever have anything like this again. No, and Lucas was a producer on that. Yeah, and that that's the thing I like is that you had Lucas producing, Monty Python writing, Jim Henson directing, David Bowie starring, and it's 
equal those four parts. Right. It's like 20, each one of those owns 25% of that movie and they do not go together. Yeah. There's no meshing. It's not Lucas and Spielberg creating Indiana Jones together. Yeah. It's just Lucas will do something for five minutes. Then David Bowie will sing. It's almost a variety show. Yeah. Uh, but going back, but that labyrinth was clearly an attempt to go, well, people didn't understand our crystal. So let's They'll definitely get labyrinth. Let's create a story. People can understand girl goes through maze and let's get, let's get humans. You can identify with. So David Bowie, everybody identifies with David Bowie, right? right? Of course. Everyone's been Aladdin sane yeah. <laughs> and worn an eye patch for a year. But dark crystal is way more cryptic. It's very hard to understand. It's creepy as all hell. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of Dark Crystal because it's terrifying, and I have no interest in uh, uh, rewatching it or oh. watching the new one or any of it. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, the new one's really the new one's actually really interesting. I think Salon had a review that nailed it for me. They said this is Game of Thrones with puppets. Oh wow! And it definitely is because it's a prequel series to the movie. And it's basically how the Skeksis ruined the world of the Dark Crystal. Mm -hmm. So there's like a lot of climate change in there. There's yeah. a lot of fake news. Like Ben kept yelling fake news at it. Wow. Because the Skeksis are like, they're engaging in propaganda and they're, um, because they're like, because they turn, they turn the crystal dark. It's like having all these environmental effects. Yeah. And um, they're not listening to anybody. They're like, and they're, there are characters going going stop torturing the crystal it's having all these effects and they're like we don't care um and there's like millions of gelflings in this that you know are not going to survive yeah because the movie is about jen being the last gelfling until he meets kira and they're the last gelflings there's lots and lots of gelflings in this yeah and i got that star wars prequel feeling it it reminded me with somewhere in the prequels it might have been attack of the clones or revenge of the sith where i went oh my god george lucas has to kill samuel l jackson Oh, yeah. And you like can't all the kill Jedi, Samuel yeah. L. Jackson. Yeah, he does. He does because he builds up these characters that you know won't survive. I mean, Rogue One is all about that. Ben hates Rogue One. Elliot hates Rogue One as well. Elliot Serrano. Yeah, I've heard a lot of hate for the uh, Rogue One. I, I liked it, but I do get it. It's just like uh, everyone's going to die in this because they, have to. they weren't in A New Hope. Yeah, because you know what? They're all so good at their jobs that Star Wars would have been shorter. Yeah. Cause, cause they'd be, cause honestly, that scene where he's like, where he's like, it's two meters. I used to bullseye womp rats. They're only two meters. Then Jen Ursula stands up and goes, I'll do it. Yeah. And that's kind of it. She's like, yeah, I already beat up a satellite. So, so Dark Crystal has that in it, but it's, it's pretty sprawling and epic and, and it's just a movie, right? No, it's a series. Oh, there's, it's 10 hour episodes. Jesus. So. It's, there's a lot of world building where you just get to see all of these areas of of Thrall, Thrall, which is the planet. You see all these areas that you never saw in the movie. You see like whole totally different vistas and different cultures. And that's why it's Game of Thrones because there's people vying where the Skeksis are in charge and they're lying to everybody. And there are Gelflings that are fiercely loyal. And there are people going, no, the Skeksis are trying to kill us all. And they're like, you're a traitor. So there's a lot of that. Those kind of reversals. Yeah. The puppeteering is fantastic. Um, it looks slightly better than the movie because it's 40 years later. Sure. And if there's one thing Brian Henson has done after taking over Jim Henson's company, it's pushing the tech of of 
of puppeteering. Yeah, there's no reason why it, like anything else, computer graphics or practical effects or anything, it shouldn't be advancing too. It's like you can't rest on your laurels. If they were making the same puppets they were making 40 years ago, you know what I mean? It would yeah. just like it'd be kind of like we could do better than this guy. And that's also the bind they get in because um, Lucas was really mad in the prequels because he had advanced Yoda so much in the prequels that in Phantom Menace that people were like, "That's not Yoda." And he's like, "What do you mean it's not Yoda?" He's like, "Frank Oz is doing that puppet." And they're like, no, it's not Yoda. And then he did, so he did Yoda CG for the next couple of prequels. Yeah, and they weren't happy about that either. No, and then Last Jedi, a lot of people are angry at Last Jedi too, but Yoda looked great because they were like, okay, let's go back to that puppet. Let's make him a little more sophisticated for modern audiences, but it's still that puppet. Right. And that's what they did in Dark Crystal. Um, There's also, you mentioned CG. The blend of CG is so seamless where there's big monsters in this. Mm-hmm. And in close-ups, it's clearly a guy doing a puppet of the head of the monster. Right. But then there's full wide shots where the monsters, like, there's like a giant spider monster and there's a, a rock monster. And there are these huge vehicles, like the Skeksis have these giant carriages. And they'll do wide shots where these things are jumping over the trees. And it, you can, it's obviously CG because you can't do that with a puppet. Right. But it, they blend really well together. And it reminds me of like, We've come a long way since Elmo's world, where it's yeah. Elmo on a green screen and things happening. A, a CG him. character will come up and he'll just look to the right and be like, "Oh, you're a flying calendar," <laughs> and it's just this like Windows ninety five icon, yeah, <laughs> like Birdemic. Yeah, um, it's come a long way. The uh, another thing that's really interesting about this, I think they may have done this with the original Dark Crystal, and please correct me if they did, but. There's a separate voice cast for this, and there's some big names in this voice cast. Mark Hamill is a Skeksis. Oh, that's cool. Um, Simon Pegg is the Chamberlain, the main Skeksis. The he's a Skeksis everybody remembers from the movie because he's the one that goes. Mee-hee. Yeah, that's now Simon Pegg. Yeah, it and you cannot tell. Like I saw it in the credits, they the characters that are from the original movie they are nailing, so you don't feel like. Um, you don't feel like Looney Tunes. I was just having this conversation with somebody. I love Looney Tunes, but, and every five years they try to bring it back. It never works. It never works. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. I loved, uh, I guess about six, seven years ago, Cartoon Network did the show called the Looney Tunes show and it was just oh, about. Oh yeah. You showed me some of those. Yeah. It was about Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck They're living. Like roommates. They were living in a house in the suburbs in a cul-de-sac like next to Yosemite Sam. It was really dry and it was really funny. But but it wasn't the original cartoons, and after those original directors died, they've never been able to do it again. Yeah, and I, honestly, once Jim Henson died, they've never really been able to do the Muppets again. Yeah, I think it's like uh, there's a few people I think that kind of own their creations so much that it can't really live past them yeah. effectively. And I think they nailed it on the head. Which is kind of sad. I, I think it's kind of sad. I mean, you you want to say, oh, this is identified with this person, but. I think in the terms of being a creator, you want to be Stan Lee more than you want to be Jim Henson. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, Jim Henson, I think, would much probably prefer in whatever afterlife or whatever it is that his stuff lives on and keeps going and it's just as good or at least as good. Uh, yeah, I think it's 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 um, some people 
uh, creative types, they think are they're hard to understand what they're going for. It's like there's so many different ingredients that make a thing successful. Yeah, and, just to match a tone. Right. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do without the original person there that was kind of like shepherding it along. Who sometimes had the, the singular original person vision. can't do it. Like how right. many times do these things come back? Yeah. Where you're like, mm, and, and they have the in, entire original cast. I mean, you can point to Indiana Jones. They yeah. never quite captured the tone of that first movie. Right. They tried three times. Three times. And I, the, it came close to a different aspect of it in each of the movies. Well, that's the thing. The ratio is slightly different in, yeah. e- in each movie. And some of those movies are good and some of those movies are bad. Um, I kind of like them all just because I love that first movie so much. It's my favorite movie ever made. Yeah. That I'm like, oh, more of this character? Fine. It's like it's like being really into James Bond and being like, well, there's something I like in this because it's James Bond. Yeah. But Dark Crystal is actually one of the most successful ones. And maybe because it was a one-off and maybe because it was so out of his wheelhouse. But there's – I guess there's less pressure on it to get it right than there than there is to get The Muppet Show right. Right. Uh, and now the Muppet Show is just going to be some shorts on Disney Plus. I thought it was going to be a full series, but it's just going to be like like five minute shorts. And it's like, yeah, that's about as much as they can do. And you know, they did it once with the Jason Segel movie, but then they couldn't do it again with the next movie, and they yeah. couldn't do it again with the next sitcom. But Dark Crystal, and apparently I've been reading into this. Um, if you read, if you had read the comics or the novels, um, they did kind of a Star Wars expanded universe thing, like in the nineties. When Star Wars came back, but it was they didn't have movies yet. There were all these novels and comic books that were adding, like the Thrawn trilogy and Dark Empire. Uh, there were all of these stories that kind of built out the world that people people accepted as canon. Yeah. And now the uh, the new movies try not to step on that. Apparently, Age of Resistance is pulling a lot from those novels. Yeah, which is weird because I had heard all those everything. If it's like if it wasn't a film. Um, or one of the shows. Well, that's what count. Yeah, that's what Lucas said. But apparently, that's not how Henson sees it because yeah. most of what they're leading up to apparently aligns very closely with those novels, including like some of the names. But visually, it's great. I have to admit that I'm paying slight attention to it because honestly, I'm on my laptop while it's on. Um, the way I started it was uh, I've been playing with the Oculus Go. And there's a setting in Netflix where when you turn on Netflix in VR, you're sitting in a, a CG living room with the screen in front of you. Yeah. On like a, it's like a really nice living room with a big screen. But then you can go into settings while it's on. You There's a setting called Void Theater, which will turn everything black. Yeah. So the background will go away. But then you can also change the size of the screen. And you can basically, because it's you know on your face – you can turn any screen into an IMAX screen. So you can make it so big. I was, I was watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom yesterday. And it was so big that you had to move your head yeah. to see the corners of the screen. And you really feel like you're in a theater. So I was watching like Star Trek The Next Generation on it. And then they were like, Dark Crystal is up. And I was like, oh, I'll start watching Dark Crystal. I got about three minutes and then a Skeksis went right into my face. And I went, no, no. Yeah, that's not the type of movie you want to watch. And it was like one in the morning. Yeah. Uh, Renee was out of town. And I was just like, no. Um, but then Ben watched it. I told him about it the next morning. I'm like, it was so creepy. The Skeksis are in my face. And he's like, I'm doing that. Yeah. And then he watched the whole first episode. I'm like, all right, we'll watch this show together then. So we're on like episode seven. Yeah. Uh, so it is, it's less creepy. I feel like 
because it's a longer storytelling, it's less interested in being cryptic and being um, symbolistic, mm. uh, symbolic, sorry. That it's trying to tell a straighter story about this is the history of this planet. And this is this is where they were before. And yeah, this, this is how it fell apart. Yeah. And I think that kind of stuff's always going to be like inherently interesting with these like established movies is like that's why people like prequels. I think yeah. it's like it does kind of put you in a box because you know how it's going to end sort right. of. Um, but I think the road. How did we get here? Um, it's interesting. You know, it's like when they when they did the Star Wars prequels, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, the origin of Darth Vader. That should be awesome. It wasn't. And it wasn't. <laughs> and it's like, you know, that doesn't mean that the origin of Darth Vader can't be cool. No. It just means that, you know, they fucked it up. Um, you I, know? I think the best prequel movie ever, and yeah, we can argue if this is a prequel movie, but the best, like, the best origin movie where you know where it's going is Batman Begins. Well, I, I feel like that... That did the Batman origin so perfectly that if Nolan hadn't made the other two movies, and there was a time he wasn't going to. When he signed on for Batman Begins, he was going to make one and leave. Yeah. Um, you could have gone anywhere with Batman after that, and it would have worked. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the best origin. It might be the best superhero origin movie. Origins are hard. They're hard to do. Yeah, Superman 1's still really good. Iron Man 1 is still fantastic. Yeah. So there's some... The first Spider-Man is good, but... It, doesn't hold up quite as well. Like if you watch the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie mm -hmm. today, it's still good, but you want to get on with it. You're yeah. like, okay, enough wrestling. Enough wrestling. Let's kill Uncle Ben. Come on, yeah. let's put him in the suit. Kill him. Whereas Batman Begins, it takes just as long for Bruce Wayne to put on the bat suit as it does for Peter Parker to put on the Spider-Man costume. Yeah, uh, but you don't want to rush it. Mm -hmm. You're just like, no, more about Rachel Ghoul. More about. Um, Kitty like Holmes slapping Bruce world. Wayne in the face and him giving a guy his coat. We did All see, of that's um, interesting. We did see the trailer for a new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenant or something like this. I don't know about this one. And um, I didn't see Dunkirk. Yeah, I still haven't seen Dunkirk. Um, and this, it's like, I've never been more like confused by a trailer in my life. They showed like a guy in like an interrogation room and he like puts his finger on like a bullet hole in double glass. Mm-hmm. And then he walks over and puts it in like another bolt on the glass. And then it's just like, there's like words that flash on the screen or something of like time for a new hero or something. And it's just like, and then it just like ends and it's like Christopher Nolan. It's like seven, 17, 20. And it's like the fucking, this guy thinking he could just put his name on a trailer and be like, that's the trailer. That's what they did for Man of Steel. It's... They were like from Christopher Nolan because he was. Still a producer because of Dark Knight, so they try to attach Zack Snyder to Christopher Nolan. So dumb. Yeah. My question about that trailer was, how many subwoofer hits did it have in it? A lot. The greatest thing in the world. This week. So this isn't necessarily um, something new. I don't think it was this to be new. A lot of times I talk about shit that I just discovered because I'm perpetually late to the party. Uh, but... Um, they did this amazing thing back in the day, DC Comics. Uh, Jose Luis Garcia did a style guide for DC Yeah, Comics. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, which, by the way, uh, there's a Superman volume of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez of all of his Superman work. Yeah. I am pissed beyond belief there's no Batman book of his. Right. Because I've been reading um, like the Jerry Conway book, and every now and then... Or the Joker on this. He I does just uh, issue. He's got a few issues yeah. just now and then. And I'm like, 
fuck, I want everything. I just, I want everything from this guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when this was done, probably in the late 70s or 80s, maybe they did the style guide. They did the style guide for superpowers. So it's, okay. it's early to mid 80s. So it's around the time, it's around crisis. Yeah. It's like kind of the perfect time for DC. Yeah, it's perfect uh, Bronze Age. Yes, which uh, we need, probably are going to have to do an episode about the Bronze Age because we keep talking about it. Um, but the they did this style guide that they disseminated to all the people that were doing any kind of like advertising for the comic book characters, anyone that was doing any work outside of DC Comics for the characters, any merchandising uh, people got this book. All the artists that were working on the DC books at the time got this. And it was basically a guide for like, here's what our characters look like. Yeah. And they always do that. I've, I've seen some, um, I think in the mid two thousands, I saw the Batman one. Cause it was when I was working on at art asylum and it was working on the mini mates and stuff. Yeah. And DC sent their book over and it's like a big binder. Yeah. Which is like, th- this is Batman from every angle. This is how you do it. This is how you do the logo. Right. This is how – these are the backgrounds you can use. These are the colors you can use. Honestly, I've done – I've created about 15 of those for like IBM and pharmaceutical brands. Right. And um, um, every major corporation that has a look and feel has to create one of these books. Yeah, and it, it makes sense, right? They're corporate characters. They should be recognizable. It's like um, – it's kind of like a of course this is done thing. And even like swatches of the color, like the blues we yes. use for Batman is in there. So <clears throat> we live in an age where uh, we have all these like artist editions and these like sketchbooks that come out all the time. And uh, there's a market for the behind the scenes stuff for comics. And one of the things that's always been really frustrating is DC's run by a bunch of morons and uh, they have not printed the style guide for this this in particular this is probably the most famous style guide between the big two companies that we always hear about we've seen bits and pieces of you can find a lot of it online but there's no physical book well uh my buddy ken actually shared a link with me the other day and change.org has a petition print the dc comics style guide by jose luis garcia lopez so ken shared this with me i think on friday or thursday and I signed, there was like 200 of us. And it's like, let's get to 500. There's now 1,187 signatures, and they're trying to get to 1,500. And I'm sure it'll keep growing. The idea being is like, hopefully we'll, it would generate enough interest or awareness so that the morons running DC can be like, oh, yeah, fucking uh, let's print this thing and make some money off of it. Um and that's on change.org right now. Change.org has it now. Yeah, I've seen other couple people circulating on uh, the internets. Um, and I think it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it's kind of a no-brainer where you think it's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't this be printed? It's basically like if you are even tangentially aware of the superhero stuff from you know the mid to late 80s up until like the mid 90s, like Six Flags was using this crap. Um it, up until 2000, really. I think 2000 is where, where, where they, they kinda, start really changing the costume. Yeah. Except for, I mean, the 90s, they 
They changed costumes, yeah, sure. Superman's in red and blue, and the Batman yeah, Batman's all in black. all black. You cre- sure. They created Kyle Rayner and Wally West. Right. So, different ca- so it's like there are different versions of the ca- characters and costumes. But, but this is 70s and 80s. Yeah, and I think it's like um, the time to print this is your, it's, a, it's a shrinking window. A lot of the people that are going to be interested in this book aren't going to be around much longer. That's my generation, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. How long do you think I'm going to be around? Maybe another 40 years. Because it's always longer than I want. Want to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so that would be my thing is that it would be really nice if uh, enough people can kind of get on board with this. Well, I'm ad- interested in this, you know, change.org, easy to find. I have an addendum to that. Yes. Um, I saw this um, circulating around. I didn't realize it was a petition, but I, I saw people talking about this. And Scott Dunbier, who is the editor for all of the IDW artist editions. Okay, yeah. Um, who I have tried to get on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, he posted, hey, DC, you don't even have to print it. Bring it over to IDW. We'll do it as an artist edition. Oh, yeah. They absolutely should. Yeah. and D- but Somebody should. DC And DC's weird about it because I also saw a few months ago, uh, I may have talked about this on the podcast, but Jerry Ordway started um, posting his original pages of the 1989 Batman adaptation that he did. And if you oh, never, yeah. if you have never seen this book, it may It's kind of incredible. It may be the best movie V adaptation that anyone has ever done of any comic ever. Um the closest thing I can think is Al Williamson did The Empire Strikes Back. And that is a the most oh. that is the most beautiful book out of any of the Star Wars adaptations. Um Howard Chaykin did the original one and Howard Chaykin did it like Howard Chaykin. Walt Simonson did an Aliens Yes, Walt Time cool. did Alien. Yeah. The original Alien, the 79 yeah. Alien. Um, but the Jerry Ordway Batman is the most gorgeous one where the likenesses are all dead on, but it's still beautiful comic work. Like the panels have motions. A lot of problems w- that happens in this. I remember the Star Trek comics DC did in the 90s and the X-Files comics was you could tell the artists were drawing the likenesses from what they got in the frame yeah like what they got in the style guide and all the characters look very posed and they don't look they don't look like they're having emotion and they're confined to certain angles um the jerry ordway batman was not this so he started posting the original pages on twitter and everybody said why is there no artist edition of this why is there no artist edition and scott dumbier said we tried yeah they were like, we tried. DC wouldn't let us do it. Yeah, DC does their own version of the artist editions. The unwrapped? No, they actually do do a bigger format book because they've printed like Sam Keith's Batman and Michael Turner's Superman Batman. Um, so they have yeah. done the book, and which is weird because they they have done plenty of IDW books. Like they did New Gods, and yeah, uh, they've never done any. Uh, I think that there's a Commandy. It's a lot of Jack Kirby stuff. I think they're doing right. They have never done any of their major characters because right. I'm like, I want a Neil Adams Batman book. Yeah. Why isn't there a Neil Adams Green yeah. Arrow Green Lantern? Right. And the I've only bought the unwraps. I have the Greg Capullo, the Jim Lee, and the Andy Kubert. And those are frustrating too, though, because they have the fucking word balloons and the sound effects in them. Yeah. It's like, why on earth? Who's going to read this and be like, well, thank God the dialogue's here. It's right. like, what? And the IDWs will have captions on there because back then, they're right. usually pretty old. But that's what back they... then, they would glue them onto the actual page. Right. This is this is all computer yeah. generated, it, which that, is It also drives me crazy because some yeah. of these books, and they're also on glossy paper, and they're only the size of a comic. 
they're not this big right which is edition. fine i don't i don't wanna i don't think i need a, a idw sized artist edition of like jim lee's hush that'd be I great do. it'd be great but i want to like, see those watercolors sure but it's cool to have the i'd rather have the entire story in one volume all the pencils you know it's like ultimates did this they did um they printed for ultimates 2 the first issue they printed the original uh the the pencils the first issue entirely in pencils and it's incredible and i would stay at there for hours in is and these days it's easier to get pencils because the inker is usually working from a scan right so most comic art i have some comic art from the 90s on my wall and it's all the inker working on the original pencils page right. and they would fedex it to each other these days you can find the original pencils and the original links to the same page yeah yeah, so uh, I hope it happens too. I don't care if IDW does it or DC. Yeah, does I don't it. care who does it. Either. You know, and DC could do it as a just like an omnibus. Uh, it's probably not even enough pages. They could just do it as a hardcover. It's full color, so we don't need to see the original pencils or the original inks to this thing. But it would be great. You'll um, you'll find this art everywhere. Like it was on pillowcases back then. Anything that had a superpowers brand had Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's. Yeah. And uh, at the very least, DC should get off their ass and do a uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Batman book. They've already done a Superman. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a reason that would be terrible to find out. But I, I do kind of wonder, like, what are you guys thinking that you're not putting this stuff out? In yeah, and they still do good ones. They just announced Marv Wolfman. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'll buy that. The Len Wein book was excellent. Uh, they just released the final Jerry Conway. Yeah. And like that late Bronze Age stuff. I have all those issues, but they're hard to follow because they were so random back then. It was like, oh, he did a detective and then he did three three Batmans and then two more detectives. And I'm like, I can't find this from the covers. Right. So having these hardcover books, even if you have the originals, is worth it. I just watched on YouTube. Uh, I don't know how I found this. I wasn't even looking for it. I think it's one of those things that like, you like comics, so watch this. And it was an old Jack Kirby documentary they did. It's like an hour and a half, maybe. Oh, is that the one where they interview him and he's like, he's like, I find it interesting. I find it very interesting. No, I don't think oh, Jack Kirby was favorite. interviewed, oh, but okay. they interviewed uh, Marv Wolfman and Len Wein together. You know what? I think that was on the Fantastic Four DVD. Maybe. I think it was. And these little nerds, as youths, went over to like Jack Kirby's house like oh, found yeah. his house. Yeah, Mark Evanier did it. And they yeah. let him in and he would just talk to them while he was drawing and they said it was the craziest thing they'd ever seen and this doesn't make any sense that being a person who uh, went to like art school and like uh, has drawn comic book pages, not professionally or anything, but like I've drawn them. You published them. It's self-published. I don't know if that's a lower tier, I feel. But the point is that Jack Kirby, this is insane. If anyone's seen Jack Kirby art, you know how crazy this is. He designed everything on the page. He wouldn't just, like, uh, sketch stuff. He They said he started in the top left corner of the page and worked all the way down to the bottom of the right corner. And that, uh, I cannot express in words how insane that is. And I heard John Byrne used to do that, but John Byrne wasn't designing all this crap. Kirby was and I guess that's and he would talk while he was doing it he would have conversations with these two nerds sitting over here and uh that's just like insane it's like uh yeah you can only do that if you've been drawing comics every day for 40 years and you're Jack Kirby yeah <laughs> you have to be uh both of those things yes <clears throat> so uh mine um d uh I ordered these figures there's for some reason uh this is an e year for 
DC figures where Mattel is giving up the license. McFarlane has yet to pick it up. And we're getting the greatest Batman figures that have ever been made. Uh, we're not getting a line of them. We're just getting random like Batman one-offs. figures from every everywhere. Mezco did probably the perfect 112 Batman in the suit. I just got the blue and gray version. He was a couple months late, but it's like, it's a pretty good multiposable Neil Adams that's in a suit. Uh, they had already done like the Tim Burton shiny black one, and they had already done like a new 52 one. Uh, they did Commissioner Gordon as a San Diego exclusive with a bat signal. Uh, they're doing a Dark Knight version next year. Uh, I thought this is the ultimate Batman figure ever. Nika then uh, just announced their New York comic exclusives, which you could order online. It's a it's basically two two packs, so you have to order them all together. It's Batman versus Joker alien, so it's an alien that's red, white and green, and uh, Hal Jordan Green Lantern, which has a switchable head. If you can make him John Stewart, if you feel like it. Yeah, that's cool because it's like the, it's the same uniform or whatever. Yeah, and they're not going to make them again. Right. And with with a yellow lantern predator. But then the Batman that comes with the alien is a perfect Bernie Wrightson Batman and Marvel Legends posability. The animated series, we talked about this for a couple weeks ago, um, created a Batman on a bat cycle, which was like, all right, I guess I'm paying 60 bucks for a bat cycle, which I don't care that much about because he was always in the freaking Batmobile. Yeah. Um, But then that figure showed up and he had Marvel Legends posability and you could pop one of the heads from the expression pack on it. So now you have a Marvel Legends Bruce Tim Batman. And then on top of this, this week... Uh, GameStop just released their exclusive figures. They're doing exclusive two-packs from the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And I talked about this when it came out. The movie is surprisingly great. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, um, I didn't see it. They made so many of the comics, so many miniseries, they yeah. like three or four of them. It, it does kind of um, make a weird amount of sense to have them team up. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, they will have crazy villains. The books were pretty good. The movie is an adaptation of the first series. Um, but, you know, like a typical DC movie, they kind of go in their own directions with it. But the designs were really interesting. They redesigned the Turtles again for their new series, Rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they're more angular, they're more blocky. The Turtles are very different from one another. They yeah. have different body types. So then in this movie, when they teamed up with Batman, the designs were really interesting. Like watching the movie... I was grabbed by kind of what an interesting mishmash it was where uh, Robin is Damien and he has the hood. Batgirl is the Batgirl of Burnside, but she has white eyes, but she has that purple um, shirt. And for some reason, they decided Batman was Neil, uh, Neil Adams' Batman. So he's blue in the gray suit with the yellow oval. Uh, so GameStop is doing exclusive two-pack figures for these. Uh I ordered the bundle online a few months ago because I was like, well, I'll get all of them. I don't go to GameStop much. Ship them to me. But the first two packs are out, which are Batman and Leonardo and Robin and Raphael. Uh, first of all, the turtles are great. They're yeah. multiposable. The body types are really different. And I'm used to the turtles kind of being different heads or all the same turtle with different colors. I mean, you know, Playmates came up with the different colors idea because the original comic, they all wore red masks. Right. And Playmates was like, man, we can't sell them the same figure four times. So uh, we color their masks. Yes, this one's blue. But these are like the Raphael looks like the thing where like Leonardo looks like Robin, uh, like a Tim uh, Dick Grayson Robin. But then they each come with uh, a Batman character. And there's three more to come. There's Batgirl Donatello. 
There is Alfred Michelangelo. And then the final one will be Shredder and Rachel Ghoul. So not even a turtle. Yeah. But the Batman that comes with this is incredible. Yeah, I didn't really know what it was when I got here. Uh, but you stopped immediately when you got into When I saw it. Yeah, because yeah. it almost kind of looks like a... I thought it was a Mike Mignola, uh, Neil Adams Batman. Because it's very blocky. Yeah, well, they have these, like, the animation lines on it and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's pretty awesome. And it's, again, multi-posable. And this is a week where I just got the entire Hush collection yeah. on on eBay because I've been in such a Hush movie since that mood since that came out. I barely talked myself out of getting Absolute Justice League Origin and All-Star Batman and Robin because those stories aren't good. And, no. that, and that art is way more rushed. But uh, these are the first toys I've ever left in the box because I had them 15 years ago and they broke yeah. and they weren't posable. Um, and I posted that on Instagram. So if you follow me at not in my book, you can see all of them in the studio. Uh, and then this showed up two days later, as I said, I pre-ordered it months ago. I didn't know when it was showing up and it beat all of them from this like more kids movie, which you could be forgiven for ignoring. Yeah. You know, it didn't get as nearly as much press as Batman Hush. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even pay attention to the crossover when they did it, because DC and IDW, this is actually, I like this kind of stuff. I like crossovers, and DC and IDW have done a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, like Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern, Star yep. Trek and Green Lantern, going back to like Superman and Predator. Doctor I think Who Dark and Star Horse. Trek, I think was IDW. Yeah, yeah. IDW is the, kind of the engine behind it, but when they did the Batman Turtles, we didn't like order that many. Because we were just like, eh, it's a Batman miniseries. It's like these crossovers don't do too well. So we ordered really a light on it. And we sold out like immediately. And I mean, we were getting like fifth and sixth prints of some of those issues. They've now done, uh, the third one is coming out now. They've done three of those. Yeah. And a fourth one that's based on the Bruce Tim animated series and the 90s Ninja Turtle cartoon. Right. And I think there is something with the Turtles and Batman. It's like... There, there's a long enough history with both of them as far as like their different looks and designs and all this stuff that, yeah, it would be kind of interesting like to do the original Turtles where it's, you know, they're all in red masks and it's more like darker yeah. and put them in like uh, Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could really kind of go crazy with it because there's so many different iterations of both the versions of characters. Right. And those, and the eras line up. Right. Yeah. So if you're in a, if you're the, uh, in a GameStop, and you see these on the shelf and you're eyeing them, they're absolutely worth it out of the package. And I do believe this, since this is an exclusive, it'll be gone pretty quickly. It'll never come back. And I think if you, if you decide you want this a couple of years from now, you're not going to be able to find it at a good price. I had the New York Comic Con uh, Ninja Turtle exclusive in 2008, and it was based on the Eastman and Laird um, artwork. And I was just... I was just at the Nika booth and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll get that. And that went through the roof. I think it's still like $500. Yeah. So there is a rabid vintage turtle collecting. So you throw Batman in it. It's, you're not going to be able to find it. Yeah. By Christmas, it's going to, I honestly believe when the next sets come out, the you're not going to be done. able to find Batman and Robin anymore. So I told you where to follow me if you want to see pictures of the Hush figures from 2003, which, by the way, I'm still proud of. Uh, I don't yeah. know why I like it's looking like at them in a box. It's a guilty pleasure almost. It's a total guilty pleasure. Yeah. It's less of a guilty pleasure than Spawn. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> but so, Which, by the way, Spawn hit 300 this week. Yeah. Uh, I didn't buy it. 
I, uh, but Greg Capullo drew it. In fact, Last Night on Earth is delayed. Because of this. Yeah, because he asked Dan DiDio if he could do Spawn 300. Because McFarlane really gave him his career. Yeah. Which is nice. And yeah, it was, it was nice. a nice gesture then to let him go do it. It's I'm just okay waiting like, another three months for that for last For an insane Batman story that makes no goddamn sense? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> but if you want to follow the show, uh, you can follow us on Facebook. That is the Facebook.com. Uh, slash caffeinated comics. That's where we post all the news. I did post pictures of the hush figures there. Um, uh, we post things like the Joker trailer when it comes out. Um, there's a wonderful musical version of Jeff Goldblum freaking out about Spider-Man. I saw that. That was beautiful. We, uh, and yeah, by the way, I cannot stop Sebastian from going, the mountains of <laughs> <laughs> He's saying that to uh, everyone. That's great. It's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. But that's facebook.com slash caffeinated comics. You can also follow the show uh, at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. We are the second one under the Lifestyles tabs because uh, back to you launched after we launched um, and then you can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and iTunes and Steven I'm going to let you just talk about yourself yeah you can follow me if you so choose on uh, Instagram at the Brave Butter Pecan yes oh and we will be at the SMG Podcast Marathon this is our third year running yeah that will be September 28th uh, that's at the Blue Box Cafe in Elgin. We don't know the entire lineup, but Elliot Serrano will be there. Art Balthazar will be there. Uh, Rob Southgate, who runs it, has several podcasts. It's always fun. The coffee is great. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really warm. It's a chance for us to do it live. We are working on more live podcasts. Um, but if you can stop by, that'll be great. If if you're not in the area, we'll be releasing that as an episode really soon. Yeah. But either way, we'll talk to you next week.